This is Roaring Light, your daily dose of faith, news, and community happenings from the staff of News Source One Mikiana, coupled with Christian independent artist music from Roaring Light Radio. So let's get ready to praise the Lord and smile the day away. The news is next. American Family News, I'm Rusty P. Twitter CEO handed down a number of suspensions from the platform Thursday, Brooke Singman reports. Elon Musk's Twitter sending the mainstream media into a tailspin after suspending some accounts, including CNN correspondent Donnie O'Sullivan, New York Times reporter Ryan Mack, Washington Post reporter Drew Harwell, and former Vox reporter Aaron Rupar. Musk says they violated Twitter's terms of service when they posted direct links to an account tracking and posting his location in real time. He said, quote, criticizing me all day long is totally fine, but doxing my real-time location and endangering my family is not. Musk says the accounts will be paused for seven days. An Arizona sheriff on the front lines of the illegal alien invasion says not only has the Biden administration allowed an open border, they planned it that way all along. Pinal County Sheriff Mark Lamb says DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is a liar. They've always wanted to undermine the rule of law, and what better way to do it than to open the borders? and allow these communities to be flooded with who knows who. You know, Yuma County's getting 70 Russians a day. They had one group of 400 Russians, which, by the way, there was Ukrainians and Russians in that group. Miraculously, they weren't fighting. But 70 Russians a day, along with many people from other countries, showing up. They're getting over 1,000 a day in Yuma alone. El Paso's being overrun. This is crazy. And it's not going to get any better if this administration doesn't do something about it. But we're not going to fall for this whole, hey, we wanted it secure this whole time. Um, But that's just a flat-out lie, and Mayorkas is just a liar. President Biden has unveiled a new COVID strategy, and it sounds an awful lot like 2020. The plan includes expanding access to COVID tests and increasing vaccine supplies. Dr. Marty McCary at Johns Hopkins University Medical School says once again, we see the overreaction to COVID when it is only one of three respiratory viruses out there. But the reality is there's no reason to chase down every single case with a test of only one of the respiratory viruses that is circulating right now. And that virus ranks as a distant number three to influenza and RSV. So when people say, oh, I'm sick, but thank goodness I tested negative for COVID, it doesn't make sense because they all have a similar infection fatality risk. Philadelphia public schools are bringing back a mask mandate beginning in January. And Dr. McCary says this makes absolutely no sense. Well, the thing is, kids are being subjected to a mask mandate, but adults are not. And I've been to many doctors' conferences during the pandemic, and the doctors are socializing at close distances without masks, with with rare exceptions. And I've been to about seven doctors' conferences. So masks may help reduce influenza transmission, not as much uh, reduce COVID transmission. But the problem is a mandate creates never maskers, and a mandate creates never vaxxers. So you can't put a mandate in place without good rationale, a prophylactic mandate selectively in a population that doesn't have a lobby and doesn't vote is probably not going to fly. A conservative organization in Virginia has decided to turn the other cheek, Chris Woodward explains. As reported on AFN, the Family Foundation wanted to have a special event with supporters at a restaurant in the Richmond area. 
The restaurant initially agreed to the event and booked a reservation, but that changed after the owner told Foundation President Victoria Cobb that a team member looked into the organization and refused to serve the foundation. Although it would be easy for our guests and I to take great offense and to actually move forward with litigation, we feel like the very faith that they were afraid of is the faith that's convincing us that at this point the best thing to do is simply to turn the other cheek. We've made a case in the public square and in the media that they simply should not have done what they did. And at this point, we feel like it's best to move on to where there has been greater injury and greater harm with many of the clients that we have at our law center where they've actually lost jobs and things of great worth over religious discrimination. We want to spend our energy there for those clients. I'm Chris Woodward. More news online at AFN.net. And download the AFN mobile app for your Apple or Android device. I'm Rusty P. Good afternoon, Michiana. My name is Devin from Highcast Weather. The time is 4.07 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Happy Friday, December 16, 2022. There is a light to moderate snow being reported in spots. And temperatures are in the low 30s across the area. Snow will subside in non-lake effect areas tonight. Areas further north can experience snow tomorrow and Sunday. Northern Varian is under a winter weather advisory for 3 to 6 plus inches of snow. We will begin to see a significant cool down in the middle of next week. Nocturnal air temperatures may even approach single digits. Another winter weather event is currently forecasted for Wednesday night into Thursday. It is too early to discuss snow amounts. The chance of a white Christmas, or seeing one inch or more, this year will be discussed in detail on Monday. The South is continuing to recover from tornado damage. Blizzard warnings continue over portions of the Northern Plains. This could mean limited shipping delays locally. There is a sharp cooldown coming to most of the U.S. next week, which may even allow Florida to fall below freezing. This is Devin. Stay safe. As always, thank you for listening to News Source 1 Michiana. Fox Weather. Good morning, I'm meteorologist Jason Fraser, and here's the very latest from America's Weather Center. While the historic snowstorm that blanketed western New York may have ended, but there's still a small chance for seeing just a few flurries today. We should see the sun return for most of the northeast as well as the mid-Atlantic, but it's still going to be rather chilly uh, for those of you in those areas. But by tomorrow, we should start to see temperatures rebound. Meanwhile, it's going to be warming up across the central as well as the northern plains and the Midwest starting today and by Wednesday. We're expected to see high temperatures that are anywhere from 5 to 15 degrees above where they should be. We'll see some rounds of rain expected for the Sunshine State, mainly for those of you on the east coast of Florida. And that includes also those of you in Miami as well as Orlando. Get the very latest weather updates anytime, anywhere by downloading the Fox Weather app at foxweather.com.
Look at that tree, young one. Ain't that pretty? and United Methodist Church, located at 285 Fairground Street in Savannah, Tennessee is an active church with community outreach and evangelism being a high priority. Worship at the church happens at 10.30 a.m. Pastor Ed Brennan can be reached at 727-698-3637. East and United Methodist Church. Like them on Facebook. Looking to look for some Christmas lights? You can head over to Winding Brook Park over Mishpuck, Indiana for their gift to the community Christmas lights. They are recognized for the holiday decoration displayed by its residents every year at Christmas time. They have been fortunate enough in recent years to help others with their beautiful light displays. Through generous donations of the thousands of volunteers who drive through the neighborhood each December, we are able to contribute thousands of dollars every year to local charities. The local charities that will be supported this year are AARC, InSource, Children's Dispensary, Tri Kappa, Trinity School at Greenlands, raising money for St. Baca Vet Recreational Training Center, PHM Education Foundation, Family Justice Center, Blue Star Mothers, and they are asking everyone to please come out and enjoy our gift to the community. And this will take place on December 8th to 11th, as well as December 14th to 25th from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. Take care and have a wonderful day.
I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. Philip Brooks once said, Distrust your religion unless it is cheerful, unless it turns every act and deed to music and exults in attempts to catch the harmony of the new life. 
I think Isaac Watts agreed when he penned the popular Christmas song, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. Watts wanted us to celebrate and sing enthusiastically about the present reign of our Lord Jesus. You did notice the present tense of the title of the song, right? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. I know, I know. I too am guilty of having spent most of my life singing, the Lord has come. But that's not the title. Watts is not calling us to sing, Jesus has come. We're to sing, the Lord is come. Present tense. And don't call a grammar police. Watts was saying the Lord's coming into the world is a present reality. That's why his second verse begins, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. This is a celebration, friends, that our Savior, our Lord Jesus, is now seated on the throne. You know, Watts actually wasn't writing a Christmas song at all. Joy to the World is a song based loosely on Psalm 98, a psalm which, yes, initially speaks to God having made known his salvation to the ends of the earth. But Watts was showing us how Psalm 98 was about Jesus sitting on the throne after having conquered sin, death, and the devil. The song is a reflection on verses 4 to 9, which speak to how the Lord has won and is about to return in victory. So we need to live out happy lives on earth, anticipating his soon arrival. Friend, are you rejoicing that Jesus lived the life we failed to with his perfect obedience and then went to the cross to take to himself the hell that you and I deserved? The wages of sin is death. Each and every one of us has paid wages for a one-way ticket to hell. But on the cross, Jesus took your ticket to hell right out of your hand. And then he handed you the ticket to heaven he earned by his perfect righteous life. Is that not wonderful news? The moment you place your trust in Jesus, you have a new life. And that is something every Christian ought to get excited about. Ronald Newhouse says, there's nothing more contradictory than an unenthusiastic Christian. The Bible tells us that God loves us so much. In fact, that God gave his only son so that all who believe in him will have everlasting life. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from God's love. If we really believe that, we can't help but overflow with joy which is exactly what Psalm 98.4 calls us to do, overflow with joy. It reads, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song and sing praises. Friends, this verse tells us Israel's God is no regional deity. He is the Savior of the whole world. Salvation is available for folks like us on the other side of the globe. A spreading salvation. And not just for people, but the actual globe. As verses 7 and 8 call the seas, the rivers, and mountains that join in the celebration. You hear Watts speak to this. Genesis 3 reversal, when the earth was cursed, when he writes, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Friend, are you rejoicing? that blessings are now pushing out the curses. Joel, does that seem right? Have you looked around at all the suffering in the world, the pandemic, all the other crises? 
To some of us, it seems like everything is more out of control than ever. Joel, can we really say Jesus coming is causing blessings to flow? Is the Lord Jesus really reigning? Is Jesus occupied elsewhere in the universe? I'm glad you asked, friends. Yes, Jesus is in complete control, and he is continuing to advance the kingdom of heaven. And he uses folks like you and I who believe and receive by faith his victory. Such is the nature of faith. Faith is the conviction, the assurance of things not seen with our visible eyes. We confess a reality contrary to what can be tangibly experienced by our senses. Jesus' coming and resurrection are the start of the new creation. He has inaugurated the glory to come, and for all those united to him, the battle is over. The thorns and the thistles are on their way out. Yes, we're waiting for it to be fully realized, but that's what Advent is all about. It's about celebrating Christmas and what was accomplished in the first coming. Not so much as a thing of the past, but something present and pushing us into the future. Yes, the Lord has come, but the Lord is come into the world, into our lives right now, as we drive out remaining unbelief, as we overflow with joy about his present reign. Friends, the Lord is come. And Jesus is nearer to us now than when he walked on our earth. Have you received your king? Has your heart prepared him room? If not, won't you reach out to me or to another Christ follower this season? If you put it off, you may never come. Now if you have received your king, then I encourage you, rejoice in the harmony of your new life. Not just for yourself, not just for God's glory, but also for the sake of your neighbors as you head towards a fullness of joy that comes in the presence of your Lord Jesus. My friends, remember who you are and who you belong to. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men, but he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. 
Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them, but how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe warm barn, but I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis. Listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully Merry Christmas. The Public News Service Daily Newscast, December the 16th, 2022. I'm Mike Clifford. From coast to coast, the U.S. has a housing shortage. But if you're moving to rural Oklahoma and want to build, there is now a database to help find available land. More from Roz Brown for Soundbite Services. The new tool features a wealth of information, including available utilities and cost of the land. 
Shantaria Charleston with the National Nonprofit Housing Assistance Council says a database creates a marketable pool of lots from which potential buyers and builders can choose. Lots of times people don't even know who owns land. And so if there is any kind of contention over the property, having this information would be really helpful. The new program is a collaborative effort between the Oklahoma Municipal League and the Oklahoma Home Builders Association. Charleston says her only concern is that some communities may still lack broadband Internet access to the information. The Oklahoma Municipal League says it will maintain the database and assist local governments with inquiries concerning abandoned and dilapidated properties. The midterm elections are in the review mirror, but some North Dakotans are looking ahead to the session as they monitor possible changes to voting policy. Prior to recent election cycles, races for school board seats were often deemed non-political and without much tension. But special interest groups pushing for book bans and against certain race-related teachings have altered the landscape in many states. Mary Tintis of the League of Women Voters in North Dakota says it wasn't as pronounced in North Dakota, but her group wants to avoid it becoming a bigger problem. The focus should be on what's best for the education of the kids in that district and not some sort of political uh, agenda. School board candidates in North Dakota aren't required to file campaign finance reports. The league wants to see legislation to change that, arguing voters should know which groups are backing these candidates. Organizations that align with candidates who have controversial views often cite parental rights and voice concerns about some types of curricula as indoctrinating students. I'm Mike Mowen. In North Dakota's last session, a plan to reduce the number of early voting days failed. Backers of that plan cited the need to restore election integrity as false claims mounted around the 2020 election. And CNBC reports that stocks fell sharply Thursday after new data showed retail sales declined more than expected in November, raising fears that the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes are tipping the economy into a recession. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 764 points in its worst days of September. This is PNS. A recent report shows the number of uninsured kids in South Carolina is on the decline. The Georgetown University Center for Children and Families report finds the state's rate of uninsured children is down 5.3 percent for 2021. Dr. Deborah Greenhouse is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Young people across the country are enduring crisis after crisis, and we need to ensure that they can access timely, comprehensive health care now more than ever. We're continuing to witness an alarming surge of pediatric respiratory illness, including RSV and, and flu. Dr. Greenhouse hopes children and families can continue to rely on the coverage that they need. And with a wave of unionization sweeping across America, the agency that Overseas Labor Relations is struggling to keep up. The National Labor Relations Board is funded by Congress, and its budget is unchanged since fiscal year 2014. Over time, inflation has eaten into that figure to the point that now the agency is effectively operating with a 25% lower budget than nine years ago. This is in contrast with a growing caseload the agency is addressing thanks to increasing unionization. Sarah Steffens with the Communications Workers of America says without additional funding, the agency may have to cut staff. The agency is seeing a lot of work responding to these election petitions 
politicians and to employer misbehavior. And at the same time, they're contemplating the need to potentially do a furlough of their employees. The NLRB warned Congress in a letter in November that the current funding level is impairing their ability to maintain staff capacity at their headquarters and 48 field offices across the nation. Brett Pivato reporting. Finally, Edwin J. Vieira tells us a bill before the New York State Legislature would remove the National Rifle Association's ability to certify gun safety instructors. Under Senate Bill 9601, New York State's Department of Criminal Justice Services would develop a curriculum for gun safety training. The legislation comes several months after the Supreme Court struck down the state's concealed carry laws, which required that a person show proper cause to want to carry a gun. State Senator Sean Ryan, who introduced the bill, says it was brought forward because of the NRA's support for that lawsuit. He describes what he hopes the training would cover. I would hope if the Department of Criminal Justice Services makes up the curriculum that they will then train New Yorkers about how to safely store their guns, the responsibility of a gun owner vis-a-vis children in the house, but also to go over places where guns are and are not allowed in New York State. This is Mike Clifford, and thank you for wrapping up your week with Public News Service. Remember, analysts are supported. Here's a great radio station's your favorite podcast platform, Find your trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org. For the Daily Yonder and Public News Service, this is the news from rural America. $40 billion is on the table to improve Internet access from the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and there's a scramble to get it. The FCC has updated its state maps to uncover areas that need it most, using self-reported data from Internet companies that isn't always accurate. Oftentimes, the speeds that providers advertise and the speeds that you or I as a consumer are getting are not going to be the same speed. Jenna Leventoff is with Public Knowledge, a group that promotes an open and affordable Internet. To capture consumers' experience, the FCC is inviting people to challenge the map. Fair warning, it does take some technical savvy. In Colorado alone, 13,000 objections were submitted by early December. The public has until January 13th to make comments at broadbandmap.fcc.gov. A new podcast from the Brookings Institution explores transformations in rural America. Anya Slepian has more. Tony Pippa leads the Reimagine Rural podcast. He says too often, the story we hear about rural America is one of decline and political division. Pippa hopes to change this narrative by highlighting community revitalization underway in small towns like Globe, Arizona, and Shamokin, Pennsylvania. I hope that sets us into a different discourse and dialogue, even politically, on what it means to be rural and the value that rural America provides to the United States as a whole. The Reimagine Rural podcast will use the firsthand experiences of small-town residents to explore how local leadership and community engagement can intersect successfully with state and federal policies. I wanted also to see if there were a set of themes that are common across a set of very diverse places that are at different places in their renewal. I'm Anya Slepian. In Montana, a $1 billion state budget surplus has some citizens thinking creatively. Hunters, scientists, and landowners are urging lawmakers to create a trust for land stewardship and restoration. Former state biologist Craig Jordanet believes now is a time to establish permanent funding. That would go directly toward increasing and enhancing productivity of the land here in Montana. 
Jordan Nace says the Montana Citizens Elk Management Coalition has proposed a $200 million trust designed to yield up to $8 million in annual interest. He points to Wyoming, where a similar program partners with organizations, agencies, and local residents providing long-term benefits. I have 11 grandkids, and I can look at this program and go, man, there's opportunity here for them. Republican Governor Greg Gianaforte has other ideas. He wants the surplus to cover tax cuts and infrastructure. For the Daily Yonder and Public News Service, I'm Roz Brown. For more rural stories, visit dailyyonder.com. World's oldest land animal celebrates 190th birthday. This is breakingnewsenglish.com. Everybody likes a birthday. Some people live long enough to have 120 of them. The world's oldest land animal has just celebrated his 190th birthday. The animal is a Seychelles giant turtle called Jonathan. Zoologists believe he was born in 1832, but there are no official records of his birth. Some scientists think Jonathan might actually be 10 years older. He could be as old as 200. Jonathan was born in the Seychelles. He was taken to the British Overseas Territory of St. Helena in the South Atlantic Ocean in 1882 as a gift for the St. Helena governor. Jonathan was born before Britain's Queen Victoria became queen and before the invention of the postage stamp, Morse code, refrigeration, and the gun. Jonathan's vets say he had a good birthday. There was a three-day party for him. Chefs made him a special tortoise birthday cake that was full of his favorite vegetables. St. Helena also launched a set of special postage stamps to celebrate his birthday. Unfortunately, Jonathan did not get to see any of the celebrations because he's blind. He also has no sense of smell. However, he has an excellent sense of hearing, so he could hear happy birthday being sung. Jonathan's vet, Joe Hollins, said the giant tortoise still has plenty of energy. He also likes to relax in the sun. Mr. Hollins said, on mild days, he will sunbathe, his long neck and legs stretched fully out of his shell to absorb heat and transfer it to his core. This is Jerry Golland reporting from Ottawa, Canada. New iPhone instantly measures a person's height. This is BreakingNewsEnglish.com Smartphones are a wonder of modern technology. They have many features that we rely on every day. They also have many hidden functions that we are unaware of. One such secret is on the new Apple iPhone 14 Pro. This has the ability to measure someone's height. You just point your phone camera at a person, click on the Measure app, and get an instant measurement of how tall that person is. The person whose height you are measuring must be standing in front of the camera from head to toe. It is possible to measure your own height in a mirror, but this is not so accurate. It would be better for a friend to do it for you. The new Measure app could end arguments about who is the tallest. The Measure app uses AR, augmented reality. 
and a special sensor that is inside the camera. The technology behind the sensor is called LIDAR. This is an acronym for light imaging, detection and ranging. LIDAR is also called 3D laser scanning. It is used to make digital 3D models of areas of the Earth's surface and of the bottom of the ocean. LIDAR measures a person's height by sending out pulses of light. These light pulses bounce off the person being measured and return to the LIDAR sensor. The app measures how long this took. The length of time helps the app to calculate the person's height. The website BGR.com joked that the app isn't as cool as drawing lines on a door to find someone's height. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. At the end of another week of drama for Britain's royal family, caused by the latest allegations made by Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, what is the fallout for the institution of monarchy? That wasn't clear until yet more of the Netflix documentary series was released this week, in which Harry said that he'd been terrified when his brother William shouted at him, and Meghan claimed she'd been fed to the wolves. Royal commentator Peter Hunt with his view of the documentary's impact. In essence, it paints the institution as cruel. And I think the institution, in terms of any public statement it can make, is quite limited because I think the veracity of what Harry was saying, and in a very articulate, clear, patient sort of way, I think will be difficult to challenge. That description of his brother screaming at him, his father saying things that simply weren't true, and the grandmother sitting quietly there. I mean, this, you know, this extraordinary thing where he rings his grandmother, the late queen, they agree to chat, then the institution gets involved and suddenly says, oh, hang on a minute, her diary's full. He then rings her back when he lands on terra firma in the UK and she says, clearly quite embarrassing, oh yes, I think there are now things in my diary. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a pretty brutal way of, of handling. And I think the institution was cruel in the way it handled their exit. There's more to come. Prince Harry's memoir will be published next month. Another event Buckingham Palace may dread. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. The growth of religious nuns appears to be slowing. This is truth itself. Americans who identify as religiously unaffiliated appear to be slowing in their population growth, according to a recent analysis from the prominent polling organization Gallup. Gallup senior scientist Frank Newport noted that while the nuns' population had risen from near 0% in the 1950s to around 20% of the U.S. population, this growth has stabilized since 2017. Newport wrote, an average of 20 or 21 percent of Americans in Gallup surveys in each of these years say they don't have a formal religious identity. We are not seeing the yearly increases that occurred in previous decades. He also documented some of the complexities of classifying religious belief when polling people, noting that there exist other measures of religiosity, and they don't all show the same patterns. Melissa Deckman, a public affairs professor at Washington College and affiliated scholar with the Public Religion Research Institute, reported on the possible slowing down in a February 2020 report. Deckman found that millennials, Americans born between 1981 and 1996, and Gen Z, Americans born after 1996, are awfully similar to each other regarding religious affiliation and religious behavior. In other words, it appears that the rate of younger Americans departing from organized religion is holding steady.
Timothy Kroll from the Helios Projects says we've been called to train 3,000 untrained pastors around the world who have absolutely no Bible or theology training due to the fact they can't afford it. He said so far we have less than 700 who are waiting for training this year. Pray that we reach this goal. At trainapastor.com, $150 trains three pastors. That's trainapastor.com. You can see these stories and more on our website, truthitself.com. Truth Itself, news that impacts your faith, family, and country. Every girl and boy, Susie's gone. 
Join me as we continue our Advent reading. Today we look at Luke 2, verses 6 through 8. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there was shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Here we see in Luke that Mary has just gave birth to our Lord and Savior. And the shepherds were out in the field watching their flock by night. And so he's born in a manger because there's no place for him in the end. And before this, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that everyone had to go to be registered in their hometown. And so Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem to get registered per Caesar Augustus. So now we're getting into the birth of Jesus Christ. We looked previously at um, Nader Gaber had appeared to Mary and told her she was going to be born with the Lord, born with a child, and she's not to be afraid. But Mary and Joseph were still virgins. We also know that the angel in Luke's account has not appeared to Joseph yet to tell him that Mary was expectant. We don't know that yet. And that's just in Luke's account. Different gospel writers each had different accounts of what happened. So we don't know yet that if Gabriel will appear to Joseph yet. We don't know what has happened. But in other accounts of the gospel, the angel Gabriel has appeared to Joseph by now. And so we don't hear about that yet. Or in Luke's account. Also, we learned that Mary visited Elizabeth. Elizabeth was expected with John the Baptist at this time. And so soon as Mary entered the room, John the Baptist leaped with joy. The baby started kicking. His name is John. Kicking. And so that time, did John the Baptist know that Mary was carrying his cousin, the Lord Jesus Christ? And then we go into Mary's song that she's praising him and she's going to follow servant. And then Luke skips, in the series, skips the whole section about the birth of John the Baptist. And that leads us up to this week to where they're traveling to be registered in the hometown because Caesar Augustus said that they needed to be registered. And so at this point, Jesus is now being born. He is staying in the manger because there is no room for them in the end. So as each, the story transpires, by the end of Advent series, there is going to be a wonderful, miraculous switch. We know that Jesus is born. And so nobody has been there yet. Nobody has seen. No, Jesus was born yet. And so nobody has not. The angel has not appeared to everybody. And so we're up to the point now where we know that Mary has given birth to the firstborn son, who is Jesus. But they have not told anybody yet. So nobody knows this. And so 
the story goes on, do we think about everybody who does not know that the Lord Jesus was born? How is the, the city or town going to feel when they find out that Mary and Joseph were, Mary was carrying a child, but she was a virgin, Joseph was a virgin. And they were, we're not for sure if they were engaged yet. It doesn't say they were engaged. They was not married yet. They were both clearly virgins. And so, how would the Holy Spirit be able to enter Mary's body and give her this birth we've been waiting for? There's a lot of unknowns that's happening up to now. The one question that I always wonder, in Luke's account, why I'm going through this Advent reading, there is never any verses where it specifically... Tell us about John the Baptist's birth. Whether he was not significant enough to be part of the Christmas story, I don't know. But the each day, there's different readings that go with it. And so sometimes we need to take a step back and figure out what's happening. If nobody knows yet that Jesus is born, who is going to arrive there first? Would it be the shepherds? Is it going to be the wise men? Is it going to be the animals? Are we going to find out in Luke's account? Has an angel told Joseph? And so it's also, you can compare virgins, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where they all are different gospels, but they all tell a different story of the same thing. Each one has their own account what's happened, and they each leave specific details. So sometimes you have to go back and read what Matthew, John, and Mark are saying to fully understand so there, even though we're looking at Luke's account, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and John are going to say something totally different. Stay tuned as we carry on to see what's going to happen in the, ex, the, ex, the next coming days of this story. For now, I leave you with the question, who is going to be the first person to arrive? Will we ever hear in Luke's account whether he appeared to Joseph and his reaction? Take care and have a wonderful day. The stars are brightly shining It is the night of the dear Savior's birth Long lay the world in sin and error pining Till He appeared and the soul felt its worth a thrill of hope The weary world rejoices For yonder breaks A new and glorious morn Fall on your knees Oh, hear the angel Truly 
and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy, in grateful chorus rise, we let all Oh!